This is the future is yesterday. I'm Tiaran Cisco, and I'm an author of uh, science fiction, Afrofuturism, spec fic. But I never got the hang of audiobooks, so I created this podcast to get my work out there in this format.、Uh, I've been reading from my first book, Teleportality. Previous episodes, we met Billy. Who has been brought back from the dead by Erin Harvey? She has a number of enhancements and abilities. And the last we saw Billy,、uh, she's in quite the predicament. She'd been captured, neutralized, and was being dragged into a transport ship that was going to take her to a prison planet.、Uh, the last thing she remembered before being、uh, completely neutralized was someone else was joining her. And in this chapter. We learn a little bit more about that someone. So this is teleportality, chapter five, tap of the po. I dragged his half-conscious body across the edge of the toilet and curb-stomped his head against the edge of the bowl, listening with pleasure as the cracking sound of his teeth shattering through his jaws had splintered, and the upper part of his spine broke beneath my boot. There's something about killing an association big shot that provides a warm sense of satisfaction, and I mean really killing him. No railguns or butane rifles, just some time alone with me and my boots, pulverizing his skeletal frame. I don't know how many people he'd tried to hurt before me, but I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt the number of people he'd be able to hurt after me was exactly zero. Though still alive, he's unconscious, so I dragged him into the middle of his living room floor and stripped him naked. It's not enough to make sure he'll never be a threat to anyone or anything ever again. I want to make sure that when they discover his remains. They'll all think twice about letting others of his kind run loose in the residential sectors. Rolling him onto his back, I bound his feet and hands with some bootlaces. His mouth was a mangled mess of bloody shredded flesh. His lower jaw hung distended to the side at a sickening angle. Severe bruising discolored the flesh of his cheeks and throat. His forehead was cracked and purple, bleeding above his right eye from where I'd initially clocked him. The look of surprise on his face when he found out the hard way that my punches have way more than a little bit behind them. One shot from my curled left hand all but destroyed his right eye. I could have easily collapsed his skull with that first punch, but that would have been far too merciful for filth like him. Moonlight poured through the narrow windows that sat carelessly above a half foot from the ceiling. It was a bright and holy light. It was the light of a beautiful summer's night. Outside, the scenery could have easily filled in as the backdrop for any vacation fantasy you've ever had. Dark blue skies, off-white clouds, fresh air swirling. From a gentle breeze, the view outside his association apartment, some ninety stories above the pedestrian walkways, it was one of utopian splendor. Inside, however, was an altogether different pastiche. Now, the first thing to remember when you're torturing people is that they can only withstand so much before they pass out or die. The second thing is that there are certain limits that even the most sadistic have when it comes to what you can handle. You've got to know and respect both boundaries. To this last point, I can withstand anything. Growing up in the lowest rungs of society, forever doomed with my status as a lifer, I've seen things that would make even the most disciplined enforcement officer cry behind their visors. But it's that first aspect where I screwed up. When I tore his ears off, he snapped back into consciousness. He started screaming, which no big deal. I could have eaten an egg salad sandwich at that point with extra mayo. But when I grabbed his flimsy broken jaw and yanked down, I ended up pulling too hard.、It、ripped off the lower half of his face. He passed out and then bled out, which left me completely grossed out. 
just holding a slick and sticky mandible, I, I tossed it aside, wiped my hands on the back of my thighs, and began searching for the key card. It didn't take long. These arrogant association members always put a high value on ridiculous materialistic symbols, and he was no different. On the desk adjacent to a sleeping pad was a polished metal box with ornate engraving. The box was unlocked, and sitting right in the middle, on top of a few cigars and other assorted fancy knickknacks, was his key card. I slid the card down inside my boot and left his apartment. The time of night being what it was, there was no one in the massive hallway. The recordings would just show a late night visit from a lifer, which was not at all uncommon for association filth like him. Leaving his flat at that hour suggested that in no way did anything even remotely appropriate transpire. And as much as they hate interacting with us lifers during the day, the association members have no problem interacting with us in the middle of the night. And worse, if I came across an enforcement officer on patrol, probably just beat me a little and dumped me at the nearest life or residential checkpoint station. I made it to the bank of elevators and pressed the button. Since I was still inside an association building, it was too risky to attempt contacting my recycler camp. But as soon as I got back to ground level, I'd be able to let them know that this mission, while messy, was successful. The elevator door slid open and there, not two feet from me, was a sub-shock security drone. Now enforcement officers I could handle. Going toe-to-toe with an SSD is a whole different ballgame. They have aggressively single-minded programming, incapacitate and detain anyone beneath association status. They're found only in the most elite associate residence buildings. This, that guy I murdered? Oh, he must have been higher up on the food chain than I realized. The SSD floated out of the elevator. Its sensors immediately scanned every inch of my face. I'd never seen one this close before. It looked like a frag grenade, except it was five feet tall and three feet in diameter. It was floating silently, a bank of neural disruption tasers running the entire length of its form like a pair of incapacitating suspenders. The silvery white globe at the top contained its sensor banks and was currently reading my retinas with its nine-inch scanning lens. It was past curfew, and I was in a restricted area without an association member to escort me. That's all I needed to know. I could hear the cackle of the disruption tasers as they targeted my nerve centers. I was completely naked except for my boots, but I still had that association member's blood on me, so I smeared it over the primary visual modules, turned, and ran down the hall. The security drone kicked on the alarms and gave chase immediately. I kicked down the door to the apartment where I just murdered that association member and burst inside. Scrambling, I leapt over his corpse and dove to the windows. 90 stories is a long way down, but I'd rather be dead than end up in some detention camp. As I fell, I hummed to myself. You know, I'd never really been one for music. Not that we ever had the opportunity to listen to any recorded material in the recycler camps. Our mission is all business, a single driving objective to unify our cause. We would destroy the association, break the status system that oppressed tens of billions of lives throughout Earth and the moon and Mars and Mars's moons. We would restore freedom at any cost. The key card that was currently rattling around inside my boot that was supposed to grant access to the association vertical farms, giving far more sustenance than the pittance that was rationed out to the residents and lifers. We'd have been able to feed the entire movement for at least a year. Not anymore. At least my death would make all the broadcast. The association would finally know that we recyclers were more than just a minor nuisance. To the status quo, we could get them where they slept. <sighs> How did I not consider the security drones? I should have known better. You know, I was so wound up in my self-loathing, I didn't notice the other security drone floating beneath me. It reached up with its titanium detainment mandibles and snatched me from freefall, violently tearing my body from space. 
I felt my collarbone and shoulders snap from the jolt of my momentum being abruptly halted. The skin of my forearm shredded beneath the metal claws. Hanging just ten stories from martyrdom, the security drone charged its disruptors and fired hundreds of charges into my chest and groin. The impact of those peanut-sized taste pellets digging into my skin was tolerable, but it was the immediate surge of current that made me lose control of my body and its functions. The thought of my waste raining down onto those glimmering association sidewalks, it would have made me laugh, but my entire nervous system was too busy rapidly alternating between complete shutdown and excruciating hyperactivity to squeeze out even a chuckle. As I felt my mind sink into the void of shock and unconsciousness, I took just the tiniest bit of comfort in knowing that the association membership was down by one. Chapter 6, Sahara Arc 2 Her captivating features were an oasis of meticulously applied beauty amidst a sea of impeccably tidy dark locks. Her eyes reflected sadness and hardened into a thick callus of distrust and anger by years of negative reinforcement and self-loathing. If she felt anything, she repressed it instantly. She stares through me. Her silent thoughts echo as deafening levels through my conscious. Her flesh is cold. Her heart is empty. She raises her blood-soaked hands and tears out clumps of hair at the root. She opened her eyes. She broke my heart. I'd seen her around school on many occasions, a thrift store hand-me-down coat with a massive hood, her black sp hair spilling over her neck down her shoulders and back, the simple pleated black miniskirt, slightly knock-kneed with fishnets over tights tucked into socks shoved into thick-soled fashionable boots. Her tiny figures crept out from cavernous sleeves holding cigarettes that teased an adorable, disposable smirk. My world was simply trudging along as scheduled when this unstoppable force struck me full in the face. My existence was realigned, my niche and the groove and the fabric of space and time had been smooth sailing, but now there's a pause, a chance, a want. It wasn't her who spoke first. She didn't make the introduction that would eventually turn into the fixation. Her cherry-haired friend with bright eyes and a voice with volume despair was the one who made the first connection. An introduction, giggle, smile, laugh, wink, eyebrow, eyelash, hand touch, stories told, jokes exchanged. More laughing, more smiling, quick peek, sideways glance, first date, safe date, group date. We're all going, and you should too. We piled into a solar van with the music cranked way too loud. Twenty minutes later, we stumbled into a pool hall filled with underage smokers. Our torsos moved slowly, gliding inch by inch closer, filling the tortuous gaps of absence between us. Moving as one, we were one on one, soon to be becoming one and one. Conversation is secure. I gotta focus, have to think. I must avoid allowing my mind to dwell on thoughts of that friction, that hip beneath the palm, the hypnotic swaying, slow grind against the grind, the millimeters of denim over cotton, the flash of flesh beneath the bottom of her shirt. And then she kissed me. A smile is just a smile. A kiss is just a kiss, unless it's your first or your last, and this was neither, but there that kiss stood, hanging on with all of its strength, standing defiant, stubbornly refusing to become a lost vague description of a once upon a time recollection. The passion was timid, but seething under the surface of nervous anxiety regarding first-time performance. Who needs sex when you can share lips and be sent to Nirvana and back? Who needs heaven when you can breathe in each other's air and taste undiluted freedom? And I found myself in absolute darkness. God, how long had I been dreaming? The darkness was astounding. I could taste the endless black. There were sounds of scuffling, and I was aware that there were other sentient creatures stirring about, but it was nothing I could see. Ugh. How long had I been dreaming? I stretched, arching my back, and thought about her again. I touched my dry lips. I could still taste her, 
through the hazy transition from unconscious to conscious. That first kiss would never be as meaningfully important as the last, but the memory didn't fade. You wake up every day blind and ignorant to every day that came before, then one day you notice it's over. Kisses once sweeter than a gallon of sucrose now had that bitter putrid taste of the wrong beer. The beer you mistake for yours, the one with the cigarette butts and dirty gum wrappers and a quarter bottle of backwash floating in it. The people that surround you, disguised as your inner circle of people you can trust, tell you nothing because they're in dire need of entertainment, regardless of it's at your own psychosexual expense. <coughs> How did it turn so sour? Actual hell isn't a place in which you're being denied pleasures and comforts. Actual hell allows great, great pleasure to be bestowed upon you, then suddenly or gradually, but either way, without warning, it's all ripped away mercilessly. We cured diseases. We cured death. But we couldn't cure this. Even if the love you lost wasn't your own, like this was, it, it still kicked you in the gut. Even when the memories that filled your subconscious to the brim with powerful passions that left you shaking for days at a time were borrowed from who knows where and who knows who, they still had a crushing impact on your outlook. I would never be whatever I was originally supposed to be. Not in this life, not in the next. Not that I'd ever get to experience the next. Oh well. No time for self-pity. Sitting around crying, woe is a little old immortal me. All that crap. Dr. Harvey had given me a job to do. The only option was to get it done. How'd you do it? A gruff voice rang out in the darkness a few feet from my neck. I turned my head and felt something taut and soft in front of me. My hand was quickly, powerfully swatted away. Hey, watch it. Sorry, I replied. I'm Pharaoh. Excuse me? My name is Pharaoh. That's an interesting one. My name back on Earth was Tabitha. Tabitha Poe. But I don't like that name. It's a girl's name. I'm not a girl. So they call me Pharaoh. But that's enough on me. What about you? Oh, this made sense now. He was a recycler. That's why he was assigning weight to names based on those like archaic interpretations of gender pronouns and referring to Gaia as Earth. Recyclers were an odd bunch. I mean, they put a lot of pride into what most of us would call insignificant, but they hated the association with the passion. Their entire cause was a dedication to anarchy and equity, a cause that was in direct opposition to the tenets of the association. They were incredibly backwards in dozens of ways, but as the saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, even if they are weirdly obsessed with the distant past. I'm Billy. Billy what? Just Billy. That's a boy's name. No, it's my name. You're not a boy. No, I'm Billy. You're not a recycler. What are you doing here? Same thing you are. No, not the same. I'm a recycler. This conversation was going nowhere. On one hand, Farrell could probably get me in touch with whatever colony is sustaining on Estrella Basura. On the other hand, Farrell seemed like an idiot. Billy, where are you? Your signal is getting increasingly weaker. Dr. Harvey's voice rang through my head again. When I get a chance, I gotta tell him to devise some kind of warning signal. I'm on the Sahara Arc 2. They sentenced me to Estrella Basura. Who are you talking to? Farrell asked. The Sahara Arc 2. Estrella Barsura? Well, that's no good. I need you to go to Diana. Believe me, Harvey, this wasn't my choice. Who are you talking to? Farrell was getting confused and sounded like he was getting a little agitated, too. You can't see them. They're in my head. I snapped back. Great. Farrell snorted in the darkness. I get banished to a trash star and enforcement locks me in here with a crazy woman. I'm not a woman. 
You sound like a woman. Crazy woman. Okay, fine. Whatever. I'm a crazy woman. Uh, Dr. Harvey, are you still there? Yes, Billy. How can I get off this ship? I don't think you can. But if it's a barge headed up to Estrella Basura, it should be an automated transport. You could override its initial programming. Granted, that would send a warning signal to any enforcement patrols in the area, but depending on how close they are, you might be able to get it close enough to Diana to initiate an atmospheric breach. So basically, I hijacked this barge. Yes. Well, the only problem is that it's pitch black in here. Yes, very dark. No light. Pharaoh's voice called out from the other side of the room. I could hear him tapping rhythmically in different parts of the compartment. Maybe he had been looking for a control panel. Maybe he wasn't so dim after all. Suddenly, I felt a sharp pain in my neck again. My nervous system was sensitive to field disruptions, but this barge was powered through direct drive, so shouldn't apply here. What the hell? Farrell bumped into me. I felt him trip against the back of my legs and turned instinctively. There she was again, illuminated by the sharp white glow coming from the static charge of her matter transference field. She wore the same white flight suit with rubberized patches over her knees and elbows, and the same menacing-looking white boots and gauntlets covered in rows of shiny chrome blades that overlapped each other like the scales of an armadillo. Of course, she had that distinctive, intricate white ink tattoo of slender leaves intertwined with fire covering the entire left side of her face. The materialization finished and the field static faded, blanketing the room in absolute darkness again. The only light was coming from her facial tattoo, like one of those bioluminescent animals that used to live deep in the oceans back when the oceans could support life. Everything else was shrouded in shadowy black nothing, but at least I could see where she was facing, and she was looking straight at me. As unnerving as it was, what happened next made me shiver down to my reinforced shatterproof bones. Billy, she said, you need to come with me now. Before I could even formulate a guess as to how she knew my name, the tattoo on her face began glowing with bright intensity. The nerve sensors in my neck were inflamed as though they were trying to tear right through my flesh, which felt like it was on fire. Beryl screamed and fainted. It didn't matter. The gruff voice sounded as though it belonged to a monster, but its complete lack of intellect had me certain that he wouldn't have been of much assistance in this case. Fighting through the debilitating agony, shredding its way through my enhanced nervous system, I flexed my arms and wrist hard. It was time to test the tensile strength of these restraints. Luckily, Though my skeleton is nigh unbreakable, the association manacles weren't. The bond snapped with a loud metallic crack, and before the cuffs hit the floor of the storage compartment, I was on her. She clearly wasn't expecting a direct attack, and my lunge caught her off guard and off balance. We tumbled brutally to the floor, my momentum driving us across the room and into the back wall. Straddling her, I rained down crushing blows, but no matter how or where I struck, she blocked and deflected the blows immediately. And worst of all for me, effortlessly. I couldn't get a solid hit in. She was toying with me, simply testing my skills and limits. She caught my last two punches and pulled me down face to face on top of her. Her grip on my wrist was so tight I couldn't move my forearms at all. I was completely immobilized. She looked me in my dull colorless eyes and smirked. The tattoo on her face glowed blindingly bright and it was hot too. I could feel heat emanating from her face onto mine. If my skin hadn't been developed in the lab, I certainly would have had second-degree burns on my temples and cheeks. Throughout all of this, my neck sensors were going haywire. I felt as though I had been flayed alive, and now someone was rubbing ammonia-soaked bath salts across the wounds. Crackles of field static popped and hissed from all sides of her, concentrically spreading out larger and larger into bigger spheres of white electric bursts until they washed over the entire room. The bolts of energy grew longer and larger until I couldn't see her at all anymore. Every molecule of the air was electrified field static. We were drowning in an ocean of tangible lightning. The light was so intense it overloaded the imaging receptors and ocular sensor boosters implanted in my occipital lobes. Finally, I had to shut my eyes. 
An enormously deafening roar filled the room, deep, intense, and disorienting, like waiting out a monstrous onslaught of tornadoes in a metal barn, but there was no wind. My world was noise and light. My sensors were a singular entity comprised of mild confusion and absolute pain. For the first time in my existence, I believed I could die again. Then suddenly it was over. Silence again. I could feel Feral cowering at my feet like an oversized man-shaped puppy. Even though my eyes were still closed, I was still on top of the tattooed woman. I opened my eyes to look at her. Her eyes were closed and she was gravely still. The odd thing was, though, she was semi-transparent, like special effects for ghosts in those old movies. I opened my mouth to say something, anything, but then stopped when I realized where we were. The roof of the compartment had been obliterated, probably from the force of whatever that incredible explosion was, and now the translucent tattooed woman had generated. Even though that boom ripped its way down my body to find the last reserve of fear left over any of my living days, I had to give it to her. That was one hell of a self-defense mechanism. I rolled off of her and looked up to the gaping hole where the roof used to be. The sun was shining. Not the artificial light that illuminates the vast majority of land space in Gaia, but the actual sun. The air smelled different, too. It was thick with pollutants and chemicals. Where the hell were we? At first, I thought we must have crashed into some farming outpost tethered in orbit to supplement the growing fields in Gaia's surface, but that didn't explain the sun or the pollutants or chemicals, or maybe this was some new facility that the association developed to expand resources for the members, but again, how did they get a sun? Farrell stirred and opened his eyes. Regaining consciousness, I could see him now in the light. He looked like he sounded. Though still in the curled position on the floor, you could see he was powerfully built with a musculature forged from both running and fighting, but mostly the latter. His prisoner's clothing did little to hide the dangerous contours of his build. His skin was organic and the color of interminable rage. Thick and jagged scars speckled his forearms, contrasting against the matter, the matte darkness of his flesh. The wounds were healing, but they were new. They were obviously treated before he was thrown in the compartment. He had long white hair, an instant giveaway of his allegiance to the recycling movement, neatly tied back into a practical ponytail, ending in a maelstrom of thick dreadlocks with dyed black tips. I'd run into his kind before. He wasn't just a recycler. He was a suitor. Suitors catered to the uh, carnal pleasures of more than a few association members in exchange for food, resources, and other luxury goods. While it was socially unacceptable and uh, incredibly illegal to fraternize sexually with lower stratus members, many association members took those laws to be more like uh, suggestions as opposed to regulations. It was a sexual subculture as discreet as it was dangerous. The risk was entirely on the part of the lower status, though. If caught, the association member could simply claim they were being attacked, and their accounts carried far more weight than that of a resident or lifer never seen a recycler suitor before. It's one aspect of recyclers I sort of admire with their adherence to the belief in avoiding all things association related. Perhaps he was merely posing as a suitor to gain access. Farrell noticed me staring at him and snorted in embarrassment. He rolled to his feet and walked over to me with his still shackled arms extended. He was a good six inches taller than I was, but if he was deep enough into the recycler dogma to grow his hair and retain his organic components, if he tried to cause any trouble, it was not going to be an issue. You broke out, break me out. He tilted his head, drawing his meaty face and burning eyes just inches from my own. Again, had he not been organic, it would have been intimidating. Fine, old still, I replied. Even if he tried something as rudimentary as a headbutt, he would have found out that his calcium-based skull would be no mass for my high-entropy steel mesh cranium. Sure, if he caught me just right, he might break my teeth, but that's a huge if. And if he didn't catch me just right, he'd pulverize his own skull. So I gripped his wrist and pulled the cuff apart. He didn't even try to hide the surprise in his face. Oh, I've seen Norwoman before, but not like you. I'm not a woman, I sighed. Look, 
Farrell, the gender normatives don't apply to anyone except recyclers. I'm not a recycler, not at all. And they especially don't apply to the formerly deceased. See, I might resemble a woman physically, but I'm no more a woman than a statue shaped like a woman is a woman. He looks like a woman. He retorted. That was it for him. He decided it, so that's one of us be. Some level I envied his ridiculously ignorant and simplistic outlook. I mean, dumb is only dumb in comparative relation. If I surrounded myself with others who thought exactly like me, things would be a lot simpler. Granted, there was nobody else like me, but still, why do I even try? Electrically is awake. Pharaoh gasped and pointed at the translucent tattooed woman. The translucent woman stood up. Dosh, ah, this is not how it's supposed to be, she exclaimed. Her form slowly filled in until she was no longer translucent, but back to a solid, fully visible form again. She was looking around the Sahara too frantically. She stopped, tilted her head, straining. Her tattoo flared but didn't ignite like before. She tried again, but the tattoo refused to glow. It was almost invisible now. The ink, or whatever it was, was only a few shades lighter than her complexion, like, like a scar that had healed some years prior. She sank to her knees and looked up at Farrell and I. I could see her face clearly for the first time. Before our brief fight on the Sahara Arc 2, I hadn't felt anything resembling fear for ages. But looking at her, this was no small twist in my stomach, or rather, the bioorganics hardware where my stomach would have been. This was absolute horror, accentuated by debilitating confusion. Her face was my face. Not an uncanny resemblance. It was identical. She looked up at me. Yes, I'm you, or rather, you're, you'll be me, or you were going to be me. I'm not, I'm not sure what happens now. How is that possible? Electric Lady has the same face as you, Farrell asked, stating the obvious. You're not supposed to be here. She, or I, replied. The Electric Lady jumped her feet and shoved Farrell, knocking him over easily. And you, you weren't supposed to fight back. Come on! She yelled at me and stormed off, marching out of the remains of the Sahara too. My confusion turned to anger. Too much about this didn't make sense. She was strong and demonstrated by her instant takedown of Pharaoh that even without the glowing tattoo, she could still cause some damage. And Holy silver, this was confusing. Can't get distracted, though. I let the anger course through me and then yelled back, Hey! I called after her. Hey! All right, if you're me from a later time or something, then you know or knew or should have remembered that, okay, this is really confusing, but whatever. We're not going anywhere until you explain exactly what's going on. First, you show up and trank me, which allows the enforcement to come along and arrest me, who then sentence me to exile on a bar with that giant recycler over there. Then you show up again, crash the ship with your magic electric tattoo, and say that you're me. You need to tell me what's going on. She stopped and turned around. I'd never seen my own face look so defeated. Oh, Billy, don't you realize where we are? There's daylight, actual daylight. We gotta find a haven. I can explain we're there. Until then, just follow me, please. Or would you prefer to face a battery of enforcement idiots empty-handed? Maybe it's because she was pleading with me with my own voice coming out of my own face, or maybe it was because she was right. I couldn't take on a battery of enforcement idiots with nothing to fight with, but something inside me trusted her, so I calmed down. Fine. But once we reach the safe haven or whatever, you're going to tell me everything. I kicked Farrell lightly in the side. Get up, Farrell. I thought you recyclers were supposed to be tough. He rolled to his feet sheepishly. How'd you know I was a recycler? Farrell, you're tall, muscle-bound, dark skin with white dreads. 
and you assist on assigning gender terminology to individuals who aren't even organically alive. You're not a rifer or a resident, not an association member. You're a cycler. You're not a very bright one. Now, come on. We're going to go follow the uh, electric lady. Jumping off the Sahara Artu's obliterated hall, I finally looked around. What caught me off guard, besides the natural sunlight anyway, was that somehow we were standing just outside a residential housing community about a mile from Dr. Harvey's old laboratory center, or rather, what was left of it. It, it wasn't the location that shocked me to silence. It was the time and date displayed on the monitor above the partially disintegrated door of the Sahara Artu. Not only had we teleported, of course, to Estrella Basur, we teleported to the day that Dr. Harvey and I made our arrangement. There was no time to get nostalgic. This, this was real. Suddenly, the sky was illuminated by a full patrol of enforcement officers opening fire on a dilapidated house. No, we're too late, the electrified version of me yelled. She turned abruptly and ran back in the direction of the explosion. Look, if you ever want to be free from the association, you need to help me destroy those enforcement idiots. So that was chapter five and six of my book, Teleportality, my first book, Teleportality. Things are getting a lot of fun. And make sure to keep on listening to The Future is Yesterday. Thanks.